0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire.
1: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants Football Podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. Today we're here to preview the Giants Panthers Week Two game, and we got a special guest for you on this one. It's the man with 7,335 career rushing yards, 51 rushing TDs, seven receiving TDs, a 2015 Pro Bowl bid, maybe some of the best film in college at Oregon that I've ever seen coming out of there, and that was before Oregon was Oregon. And that man is Jonathan Stewart. He played for the Carolina Panthers and the New York Football Giants. And he's gonna hear, he's here today to help break us down, help us break down this game. So what's going on today, Jonathan?
2: Uh, Not much, man. Just uh, another day. Another day, another dollar. That's what they say.
3: Jonathan, I wanted to go over that last game against the Cleveland Browns. It was a strange, sloppy game in general. I mean, 18 missed tackles by Phil Snow's defense, a few bobbled snaps. Cleveland almost doubled the time of possession, and there was just that weird fake spike scenario at the end of the game with Jacoby Brissett. What's the overall pulse right now? After that week one loss that was actually really close. And I think it took like a 58 yard
2: field goal by a rookie in order for Cleveland to seal that win. Um, I think everyone, you know, waking up Monday. um, Probably just woke up feeling a little optimistic. I mean, you know, the the third and fourth quarter, they see their team come alive. Um, You know, halftime adjustments, whatever it is. Those are things that you can at least bank on, especially first game of the season. Um, you know, the benefit of the doubt for your for your home team, um, you, you kind of have to bank it, you know, let let rest your head on that. Otherwise, you're banging your head against the wall trying to figure out what's going on. Um, no one knows what's going on besides the guys that are, you know, within that those rooms, those, uh, you know, the film study rooms and the weight rooms and on that field. So you just got to, you know, put your trust in um what's going on with your with your team and and just hope that they come out prepared and execute
1: I want to ask you a little bit Jonathan about the new Panthers offense it's a familiar face there in Carolina offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo former head coach in New York football Giants what well, two things I want to ask about is one what were the differences in the first half and the second half because it seemed like the Carolina Panthers offense opened up and got going in the second half Two, and more importantly for us, is how is this scheme looking? Because we remember it one way with the Giants, and I'm assuming it's not the same based on the personnel. With the Giants, it was just a lot of 11 personnel, over 90% of the snaps, ton of slants, flats, uh, slants flats, and a ton of just trying to get one-on-one situations. But now you got a running back like uh, Christian McCaffrey in the mix, so we're
2: assuming he's going to be
1: utilized more in the passing game than really McAdoo ever use any of the Giants' backs. So how's it looking so far, and why were they able to find success in the second half?
2: Yeah, exactly to your point, um, McAdoo West Coast offense. He's one. He's gonna, you know, what mid range to short range throws is kind of what they were doing when he was with the Giants. Um, you know, that can work if you don't have a run game, but you have a run game, um, so lean on that, especially when you have a one once in a lifetime player in Christian McCaffrey. Don't ignore that. So I need you to adapt. And I think that's what happened um, in the in the second half. Is he realized what he was doing was going about this game like he didn't have Christian McCaffrey um, or DJ Moore. And and you know the mixture of the players that you have is different than what you have because of Christian McCaffrey. Um, utilize him in some formality. At least give us this thought process that at least you're using Christian as a decoy. Um, and you didn't really see any of that. Um, but second half, the tempo changed. And the tempo, what happens is you get a quarterback like, you know, Baker Mayfield, um, who's energy driven, right? A lot of energy, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I like him. Um, he brings energy to that huddle. He brings energy to the sideline, to the locker. That's the guy that you need to lead this team. Um he didn't have the tempo early in the game, especially when you get in a funk where if you have three, po- five possessions where nothing happens, <laughs> you know, somewhere in that mid that third possession, let's do something different here. Change the tempo. Let's run a no huddle or something. Um, get the ball in the hands of your running back. Uh I mean, there's just really, I think what happened was, you know, you get low to sleep sometimes, you know, as, as a, as a coordinator in going to your comfort zone. And sometimes your comfort zone isn't the zone that your team needs.
3: Yeah. I think it's interesting too, because I want to say Christian McCaffrey only had the three carries in the first half. And then I think Chuba Hubbard also had one. So that's kind of wild in and of itself. But if you saw what the Tennessee Titans did with Dontrell Hilliard, their backup running back in the passing game, it was pretty unique. I mean, he had two touchdowns and no one thought he was going to be a big part of the game plan. It's almost as if Todd Downing circled the Giants linebackers and we're like, we're going to exploit these young, inexperienced linebackers. And now with Christian McCaffrey coming into town, that's a very scary proposition. And I don't think he had that many targets. They don't have the stats in front of it, but I think he had like four catches, some, something around there. Were there plays... On the film where Christian McCaffrey was running vertically, was running down the field, trying to exploit the linebackers of the Browns. And do you think that's going to be a part of what they do this week?
2: You know, looking back at that game, there is definitely many opportunities, diff- many occasions where uh, Christian was out, you know, in, you know, path of being a receiver. <laughs> now, getting the ball to him intentionally through progressions, you know, if, that's the that's the key. Right. Yep. Draw the play up to where the progression, you know, the one or two read is Christian, you know, and so that I mean, everyone can look at a game and say, oh, he's open, but it's not the progression, <laughs> you know. And so um, I think going into this game, I think McAdoo's has to go and look at Christian McCaffrey film and just replay that in his head as he is thinking about how he's going to call this game. Look at what it was like on second down and second. pull up all the Christian McCaffrey second down downfield. You know, what does that look like? How does he thrive on second downs, second down and short second down and eight second down and long. whatever those things are, those are pivotal moments in, 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 in any drive. Um, You know, you're going out starting the game first down. It's a dud. Most of the time that second down play, can change the tempo of the game real quick. And you know, that's what I'm depending on is is for our offensive coordinator to go into this game. Um yeah, like you said, exploit the young linebackers uh, with Christian McCaffrey. Give him a little taste of what it's like to cover someone that's uh, a um one in a lifetime type of player. Yeah, without a doubt there, Jonathan. I want to
1: ask you a little bit about something Leonard Williams, Giants defensive lineman, said this week about Baker Mayfield. He said one thing that's unique about Baker's game is that he takes further drops in the pocket than most quarterbacks. As someone who's played the game like yourself, what exactly does that mean for opposing defense trying to defend a quarterback like that? And, and as a as player like lining up next to him in the backfield, for example, how does that impact your game and things like that?
2: I mean, the, the deeper drops, obviously means that he's further away from the defense, obviously. Um, but it's different angles that the defense has to pay attention to as far as where their, their landmarks are off the ball. Um, and it gives him a deeper pocket to step up into if that he feels like he's being caved in on. So now you have to have some type of spy, right, if if I'm a deep, an opposing defense. Um, but, you know, and as for a player – You know, I'm not really sure for a running back. I'm thinking from the running back standpoint, it doesn't really do me any difference. Um, But really it's just he has to be able to see the field. He's a shorter quarterback. So that deeper drop allows him to see more of the field. And he knows that. Um, I'm sure the defense knows that. Everyone knows that. But it's definitely going to change the the landmarks for the defensive line uh, as far as where they're supposed to be um how long you know as far as the you know I th- usually there's like a four second clock that goes through a quarterback's head as far as when he's supposed to release the ball so you got to get to the quarterback on time I'm gonna say it's
1: interesting too because he actually struggles with batted passes and has his entire career that was the case in week one as well I wonder mm-hmm. if that has anything to do with I just thought that part those two things mixed together were interesting
2: yeah I mean it's gonna happen I mean we know He's not he's not the tallest quarterback, but there's no excuse. And I know he knows that. And I don't even think there's anything to really talk about there. I mean, he's just got to rise above that um, this week and, and and just make the throws. And I'm sure he can rise above and, and make it happen. How does that pocket depth affect rookie Offensive tackle Akimi
3: Kwanu. I watched some of his tape. It seemed like, and he, you want to talk about drawing a, a tough ask on your first game, going up against Miles Garrett and yeah. and Jadavian Clowney. But he was kind of losing high side. Does that affect him having that different landmark and in, in the pocket depth? Oh yeah,
2: I mean you got to block longer, right? You got to make sure you get to a specific point that you're probably not used to. Um, and but you, like I said. There's no excuse. You're getting paid to do it. So you got to draw it up and you got to make it happen.
1: Let's flip it to the other side of the ball real quick. Jonathan, we, we, we couldn't go through this podcast and not ask you a little bit about Saquon Barkley, the Giants running back, a player who you played with during his rookie season. Yeah, And so in our minds, I think both, both me and Nick went over it. There are some other options. And actually, he was asked about this this week on a podcast. He said. Sterling Shepard, it was him on Sterling Shepard on podcast. Shep said this was the best game he's ever seen from Barkley. Barkley himself referenced the game against the Eagles on Thursday Night Football. I believe that was from his first or second season. Nick, you can correct me. We thought this was his best for the key reason being not just that he, he's in the past. He's run with low pad level. That's not a thing. He hasn't. He did that a lot his rookie season. So during some of the injured seasons, it might have been a little different. But he got vertical so much more often, so violently in this game. And I think that's partially the coaching staff. I just want to know if you had a chance to watch Saquon from week one or see any of the clips or anything like that and what your thoughts are and where he's at right now.
2: Oh yeah. Um He's inflicting pain. <laughs> um, and you know, you take, you know, Saquon and just, you know, his career, everyone's career grows that, that, you know, that's successful. Um, and, and we've been able to watch Saquon, this electrifying runner, um this, generational talent um grow into something that we've all been like wanting to see you know especially him overcoming injuries adversity um team adversity um it's not fun going through all that but what we're seeing is maturity we're seeing a guy that understands his capabilities we're seeing a guy that's okay with growing growing hurts (laughs) and sometimes it, we grow in ways that we don't want. We don't want to go through injuries. We don't want to go through all these things, but this is what's making who he is great. Um, you know, I saw him, the, the run that he had, the little shuffle pass, I think it was. Oh, yeah. Um,
1: Two-point conversion.
2: Two-point conversion. Unreal. The way, the way he caught that made a guy miss, which is the typical thing that we see, right? But then... He knew he was going to score once he made that happen, but he chose to inflict pain on anyone that was going to be in his way to get into that end zone. And that's something that like he's always been able to do. He's done many times, but this occasion, this game, after all the stuff that people has been talking about him in the off season from last year, whatever it is, that was a moment for me watching him run across that goal line. That was a guy that said, forget what everybody else talking about. I know who I am. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And that was good to see. I'm so happy for him. Um, like, I, like again, I mean, the passion that he carries with that team, um, it's hard to beat. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I said, you know, on, on a couple of podcasts earlier, if, if the Panthers are going to win this game, they got to stop him. Right. He- it's going to be a heavy task because I think that team sees Saquon Barkley as the generator of energy.
3: He's the inertia that moves the offense for sure. Yeah. And Jonathan, you you discussed the injuries, and I know you dealt with several injuries throughout your career, hamstring, foot, knee, and Achilles, if I'm not mistaken. What's the process of a running back now that Saquon is a year removed from that ACL? What's the process from a mental and physical standpoint? for Saquon Barkley to return to that vintage Saquon Barkley that we think we have after that week one performance.
2: Um, I wouldn't even, I would correct you. You're a Giants fan, right? I'm going to need y'all to talk like this. He is that. Not what you think. He is that. Okay. Love it. Love it. He, he's never, he's never lost it. When you, when a player gets hurt, when, when a tree gets chipped, you know, from a car accident, someone runs into a tree. The tree is damaged. It's, just, it's still the same tree. It's just damaged. It's just different. But you want to know what happens to that tree? If it has good roots, it grows stronger, right? Mm-hmm. I would say to all Giants fans the things that your running back, Saquon Barkley, has gone through, it's only made him stronger. So I've gone through all these injuries in my career, I've learned, I've adapted. When you get injured, you ain't lost nothing. You're still who you are. But what you do is you gain. You gain the ability of learning, okay, next time I'll do this different. Things change. Things are different, but you remain the same, but you just grow. Um, And that's what, you know, Saquon Barkley has been able to establish through his hard work of being able to go through the, the rehab and the therapy and the training to get to a place to where he can be who he is. Um, He's done all those things. I mean, he's 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 better than what he was before.
1: One thing I want to ask you about from a running back standpoint, we hear a lot about quarterback processing, how he sees the field post snap, pre to post snap, like you mentioned earlier, going through progressions. I think what's lost on a lot of fans and I think people are getting better at kind of trying to explain this and get and further the knowledge of it is that there's a lot of processing from the running back position as well. A lot of people still view it as a position that's just size-speed combination, but that's not the case. So I want to ask you, can you go through the process of maybe what a running back's thinking when he receives the handoff from a processing standpoint in inside zone or outside zone or with a duo-blocking situation?
2: Yeah, you know, um, first of all, you're looking at, you know, a defensive line front, right? 4-3, is a 3-4. Um, who's their dog? So... <laughs> You know, I'm always looking at who's the guy that's going to – who's always around the ball. Where is he mm-hmm. at? Where is he located? Um, then I'm looking at the safeties, right? Single high, two high. Where's the safety? If you're single high, where's the other guy? Is he down low? Does it look like he's about to come? Um, is he the last guy of defense if I cut it back? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just pre-read, right? Um, and then, you know, you just kind of – if it's an inside zone – you're looking at your you know your 3 technique whatever it is looking at that gap and and you're just making a read based off that you know and 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 then everything else is off and you know if, depending on what kind of linebacker scheme is going on right there if there's a blitz coming on you know that <laughs> you got to wrap up the ball see if you can cut it back um i mean there's a lot that goes into it it's really you know reading the the gaps and 3 techniques 1 techniques um you know inside zone um mid zone you know you just kind of ride the wave um and then outside zone obviously it's either you gonna you got to set up the inside shoulder to where you can actually bounce it um or or cut underneath um there's a lot that goes into it but it's it's not as robotic as it sounds Mm -hmm. it's just all feel and you just know these things because you do it naturally. And that's what makes good running backs good running backs is because they do these things naturally without even being having to be explained. You know, you see right. these, you see high school kids, you see kids in in youth football doing these things naturally because that's what they sense, you know, and and you know, I think that's what essentially like how football came about, right? They probably saw a guy run the ball behind a blocker and said, "Oh, this is what he's doing. He's attacking the outside to set up a cut inside because you have a fast flow defense. You know, fast flow defense or a linebacker or a young a young linebacker. So if (laughs) if I was Christian going into this week." I know that there's a bunch of young guys out there that are on their phones all day. Insta gratification. (laughs) They want to get to the tackle. I want (laughs) to get a tackle. I want to get the tackle. No, I'm going to get the tackle. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to sell the outside run and I'm going to make sure I get that cut underneath.
1: Yeah. There was a great example of that in the giants game from week one, where Barkley pressed the line of scrimmage and then cut back for the touchdown run that he had in that game. It was just unbelievable to watch Jonathan, but Thank you for answering that question. We love on this podcast, breaking down kind of the X's and O's, getting into a little scheme stuff and hearing from an actual running back what it's like, because, you know, it's interesting. You watch the Dalvin Cooks and Nick Chubbs of this world, and it seems like they have the most incredible vision in the world. How do they do it? And like you said, a lot of that is just natural feel. Um, and so mm-hmm. it's definitely something interesting to go over for sure.
3: Jonathan, I actually wanted to ask you, did you have a favorite rushing concept? Is there a preference that you like to run in?
2: Uh, power. <laughs> yeah, so just follow the big boys. Don't follow the big boys, because if you, if you, I mean, depending on the formation and the set and and, and the personnel, um, a power can be anything if you really hit it the right way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it can be you know down the a gap, um, and it can be a bounce. <laughs> to be honest, like it can be from anywhere in that if you're running it the right way. Um, but yeah, power anything with you know counters and stuff yeah. like that misdirection uh, we ran a lot of misdirection and one of my be- one of my favorite plays with the panthers was a misdirection with me and greg olson you know i come across the, the the quarterback's uh face grab the ha- grab the handball handoff and then take off back to the right but i would take the handoff and kind of give a hezi just to see if the a gap was open And if the A gap was open, I would always take it, Um, because the flow of the defense is now misdirected, and so if I catch it in time, if I'm, you know, coming this way, and all of a sudden that it it becomes a a wide open gap, if I take it, the defense is automatically following Greg Olson and the Poolers, right down the seam. Yeah, it's
1: funny. It's funny you mentioned that, Jonathan, because in my head, just from growing up watching football, I can just vision all these runs. I remember from you hitting the A-gap hard, and that was one of those yeah. things that stands out. And it's funny, too, because on the big run Saquon had this past week, not only did they use pre-snap motion to get the linebackers to take that, you know, false step, that subtle false step right at the snap that really got them off bounds. They also pulled two guys, and there was a lot of, like, as Nick brought up on the podcast before, counter. And we've always wondered if Saquon Barkley's specific skill set is best for power, too. I wonder if you could, uh, you know, maybe offer some insight on that, having played with him, or if you feel like he could just kind of run equally in any kind of scheme.
2: He can run in any scheme. Yeah. This is a, like I said, gener- when I say generational, yeah. it means this man is like God blessed him to play football. Yeah. Okay. He can do. Touched by the hand be- of God. But, but yeah, touched by the hand of God. <laughs> but, he could pro- but he's a guy that can probably play baseball. But he's a guy that can play yeah. basketball. I mean. I I don't know what his jumper's like, but, <laughs> but I'm sure if he worked at it, he's one of those guys, right? Um, he strikes me as a guy, if he shows up to a bar and someone's playing darts, he'll take, he'll take all the darts and hit bullseyes. Yeah. So,
3: so Jonathan, now that we're, we're talking about Saquon Barker, I just wanted to ask you, what was it like when you first met him? Cause you were signed to kind of mentor him a little bit. Did you just know right off the bat, this is a dude?
2: Yeah, I knew just from Penn state. Um, <laughs> You know, previous year, even before that, like just watching, you know, this kid, kid from Penn State, pretty much my size, running around like a receiver um, and, and being able to do all these things without fault. Um, it was just amazing to see. And once I saw him in OTAs um, or minicamp or whatever that was, uh, him lining up at, at the slot and running a route. It's like, Jesus, I just came from I just came from the, the Carolina Panthers with Christian running the best routes I've ever seen. And that's saying a lot because of not, not that I've seen, but like from a running back or a position that you don't expect. Um, And he's breaking he's open every time, like he's breaking linebackers off one on ones wow. all the time. Saquon doing the same thing, but my size. And so I'm like, Jesus, this guy is amazing. And I actually texted, you know, many friends of mine, like immediately telling them this guy's the truth. Um, And he sure is. You
1: watch a lot of football now. You commentate on football. So you're in it. I just wanted to get your take on who you think right now you would put as the five best running backs in the NFL, Mm. independent of the offensive lines in front of them and the scheme.
2: Five best. I haven't been asked that question.
1: Okay. If not, we can we can, um, we can see it if you don't want it.
2: No, I got it. Um, you know, I'd say Saquon. Okay. Um, Christian McCaffrey. Of course. Um, Nick Chubb. Yep. Leonard Fournette.
1: Ooh, I wasn't expecting that.
2: Um. Hmm.
1: That's a division guy, so you see him a
2: lot. Yeah. I'm trying to rack over here. Um, JT, with me.
1: JT uh, there yet or not there? Not yet. Jonathan oh, Taylor. Jonathan.
2: Yeah, yeah, Jonathan Taylor. Oh, that good. oh yeah. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Jonathan. Hey, sorry, Jonathan. Uh, it's all good. He gets accolades I'm, I'm, everywhere I'm, he goes. I'm, I'm 35 he... and I'm old. <laughs> yeah,
1: no. I love it. <laughs> but right.
2: that you said that was a surprise. A bit uh, of a surprise it to me. This shouldn't be a surprise. Okay. When you when you watch him I mean, everyone wants to talk fantasy football three years ago when he was at Jacksonville, whatever that is. I don't know. Get over it. My my man is a dog. Okay. Um, when he needs when they need him to run the ball with Tampa, he runs that. Thing, yeah, week one so. was a run
1: heavy plan and he did he did a good job. Yeah. There. I wasn't surprised yeah. in that sense. I know he's a great player. There's a there's yeah. a lot of great players, that's the whole thing. Dalvin Cook. So it's just a ton of good backs right now in the NFL. But I like those takes. Yeah. But Jonathan, you mentioned Nick Chubb and he
3: ran for 141 yards against the Carolina Panthers and Kareem Hunt also had a pretty big game. What's going on with the Carolina Panthers run defense and what's happening with Derek Brown? He was picked pretty high two years ago.
2: Um, You know, gap control, man. It's just some, the fundamentals, man. You just got to be fundamentally sound, get off your phones. Everything ain't just going to come to you, <laughs> right? The instant gratification, Um, you know, just stay poised, uh, you know, they ask quarterbacks to stay poised in the pocket. Defense has to be poised and trust. You know, the guys that are around that are around them that they're gonna make the plays that they're supposed to make. You don't have to make every play. You don't have to be um, the hero. So just do your job, stay in the gaps, and tackle. If like it's just like you know, Coach Skip, my running back coach um, with the Panthers for so long, used to always say, "There ain't no technique to blocking." You just got to want to block. You just got to want to block the guy across from you, whatever it takes. And I take that same, like, you know, formality to tackling. Yeah, there's a way to tackle. There's a way to tap that they teach you to tackle. They teach it from Pop or on up whatever. But in order for you to tackle Nick Chubb, you got to want to. And it can't just be one guy. It's got to be two guys, three guys, four guys would be great. You got to want to be there to make the tackle, but you got to also be patient and do your job to make it happen. So if we're going to, if your job is to set the edge, set the edge. If If the ball carrier comes to you, he comes to you and you make the tackle, but you set the edge and you make the tackle because you set the edge. Now he has nowhere to go and your guys inside can come over there and meet you make the tackle and everybody give high fives.
1: Yeah. I love that because last week, no one really expected the giants to have success against Derek Henry and Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator came out and just said, that's it. We're stacking the box. We have seven or eight guys, every single play. And there was so much rallying to the football by the giants, even on the fourth down ender or the use a third or fourth down ender on end around. They tried to the tight end. You got, you had the guy setting the edge, Nick Williams, but you also had two other giants rallying to the ball. Just like you said, that's the key I think to run defense. So yeah. love that take.
3: And Jonathan, one more question about the Carolina defense. It seems like you guys got some dudes, some young dudes in the secondary with J.C. Horn. You guys traded mm-hmm. for C.J. Henderson. I think that could be a part of the game that the Carolina Panthers definitely have over the New York Giants right now and their receivers. Yeah. Do you think they could win that matchup? And does that just put even more pressure on the Giants rushing attack?
2: Oh, it definitely puts pressure. I mean, I think that's one of the things that for the Panthers, we have to go win and be fundamentally sound. When you come into, I think, you know, no disrespect, but I think the Giants are one of those teams where a J.C. Horn, a Jeremy Chin, a C.J. Anderson can be a factor in this game off the rip. Just be in the right place, trust your teammates, trust your game plan, and that ball's going to come right to you. Make Daniel Jones beat you through the air. I mean, it's the same formality as last week, but can't stop the run. So if we can make sure we play fundamentally sound football, be in the right spots, anchor down, have some grit, tackle, 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 and let your DBs be free. It's interesting because we'll it really
1: does feel like it's a similar game plan on both sides, right? Like make Baker Mayfield beat you, make Daniel Jones beat you, and I'm just Curious to see how it all goes down. Giants have a real big issue this week. They have their second corner, Aaron Robinson, ruled out. No one knows right now who's going to play that boundary position. It's not pretty. Mm. Obviously, we got DJ Moore. The, as fans here, we're hoping that Adoree Jackson kind of shadows him and follows him. We don't know if that'll be the case. But when that is not, when that's let's say when that is the case, when he's matched up against when Adoree's matched up against Moore, who's who. Are we looking at Robbie Anderson as the potential X factor here going against this bad match of the Giants have at corner 2 right now.
2: I'm going to throw out Shy Smith. Oh, nice. Like it. Um I think Shy we saw a little bit of Shy Smith last week. Um a little bit. I want to see more of that. And that's a guy that I expect to catch a ball across the middle and next thing you know he's in the end zone. Okay, so we're expecting that out of DJ Moore. We're expecting Robbie Anderson for the deep ball. You know, what Giants are going to say in meeting rooms are, Hey, be where you're supposed to be. Don't break the coverage because otherwise, if Baker's back there scrambling, he's going to find the broken coverage if you're not in spot. And so that's where Robbie Anderson came into play. That's where Ian Thomas came into play. Um, but I think where the bread and butter going to McAdoo's theory is short to mid-range passes. You got a guy like Shai Smith and DJ Moore across yeah. the middle. I think those are going to be the, uh, you know, the, the, the bread and bread and butter. Yeah. I
1: love that call. Cause it is all in breakers that McAdoo yeah. system.
2: <laughs> I do system. And also, and also Christian McCaffrey. Yes. too. I mean, we got to make sure he touches the ball at least 20 times intentionally exactly <laughs> that just off the, so oh, was the balls sick. on the ground the balls it's on the, the ground <laughs> yeah. yeah we all know what well,
1: no one knows what happened there that was a weird game to watch because it really felt like even though it didn't show up as much in the total pressure stats after as far as just like the the trench battle man did that cleveland d-line have an advantage on the panthers O line there i mean even run plays so we'll see what happens there it's not going to be as tough a task this week but jonathan thank you so much for joining us on the big blue banter podcast we really appreciate you spending the time here today let everyone know where they can find you find your work and everything like that
2: yeah man you can follow me on jonathan stewart without the t1 on all my platforms um and then you can check us out on my podcast and i'm co-hosting with desmond johnson and skylar callahan uh believe in panthers so check us out we we talk in we actually had some some good talks today it was pretty funny um you know we talked about russell wilson and that terrible coach right now oh my
1: god that was such <laughs> yeah a disaster class that
2: yeah i, I just, just don't want... just just know just know mm-hmm. that whatever happened this week You're not the Denver Broncos. Yeah, exactly. You didn't didn't milk
1: (laughs) the entire clock away for no reason at all.
2: And just decided you want a 64 yard 30 seconds just gone. Jonathan. Yeah, go ahead. Jonathan,
3: one one quick question just because you brought up Nathaniel Hackett. From a player's perspective, what Brian Dable did with the two point conversion, how much confidence does that give you in your coach when he puts that much confidence onto you relative to what Nathaniel Hackett showed
2: on Monday Night Football? So, identity right what he displayed was the Giants identity for the rest of the season, mm-hmm. which is nope, we're trying to win this game. nothing else. I want to win. And so you're putting the culture of winning back into the Giants was what which is what ultimately every team wants is a culture of wins and the culture of a hey, we' we're, we're going out here every week, the fans are coming to the stadium every week to watch their team put up the best show possibly and to win. And that's what they did. And that's what they displayed. And the confidence for that team, the young team that they have, on, especially on defense, mm-hmm. you're going out there and you're putting your body on the line. Hey, man, don't let us go back out there. Go out there and win this thing for us. It's
1: and awesome. And before the game, both Shep and Barkley said they knew they were going for that too, if that was the situation, because Dable told oh, them, yeah. look, I'm going to coach to win. That's how I coach these games. Such a night and day experience for Giants fans dealing with Joe Judge in the past. And it's
2: great to see Shep back out there on that field, man. You talk about, I mean, I'm telling you, you you, whenever you have players that overcome injuries and come out and shine, Mm -hmm. but not just that float, but shine, that's special. So don't talk bad about my boy, Saquon. Don't talk (laughs) bad about my boy, Shep, because if you do, I'm going to have something to say about you.
1: Yeah, he'll find you on social media, all right? I'm going
2: to find y'all. Y'all better leave them boys alone.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Jonathan.
2: All right, man. Y'all take care. Take care, bro. Have a good one.
0: You too, again. Bye. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
3: You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, it's not beer, actually Mountain Spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. You may see your co-workers cracking these open at the 9 a.m. stand-up meeting, but again, not beer. They're just parched, dehydrated, or just downright thirsty, and they're drinking the new Mountain Spring water brand called Liquid Death. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. So go to liquiddeath.com bigblue if you want to try this tasty new Liquid Death. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day weather, and... Bet tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to OddsTrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's OddsTrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. Dan, some good nuggets there from Jonathan Stewart, who put me in my place with my questioning of Saquon Barkley.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look... I understand he's got to defend his boy, as he heard in the end of the show. Don't talk bad on them. He'll come for you. And maybe, you know, he'll bring along Dave Gettleman, his boy. <laughs> I, I was surprised when I got in that hand of God line. I, I was thinking maybe that could lead to reaction. I think he did kind of notify. He, he made note that he kind of realized what I was getting at there with the hand of God, touched by the hand of God. But did you um, see the smile on my face when you said yeah, that? <laughs> I knew you were going to love that the minute I said it. So, Great, bro. Look, Jonathan Stewart love Saquon Barkley. I don't blame him. Saquon Barkley was the best player on the field, either side of the ball. He's really, it's opened my mind, Nick, I, and I actually had this conversation with Sal. We'll, we'll do this later. This is not the time for it. We're trying to preview Panthers-Giants, but it's certainly opened my mind to the possibility of resigning him on a short term. I won't, I, and I'll explain this later, but I would want it to be front-loaded deal. That's my worry, is having any cap hit to a certain age, but we'll talk about that later, because if he's going to perform like this on a weekly basis, he's he gives them a chance to win every week. So let's talk about the game plan a little bit. We could we- talk about it now if you want to. Yeah, no, go for it if you want to If you want to get into
3: this. Yeah, I'm open to re-signing him, but I think it would have to be a team-friendly deal just because I'm a little hesitant with allocating that much money towards a running back position for a player who is just incredibly athletic. That's going to wane. But the thing is, Saquon Barkley is still young. And if he can consistently play like we saw in week one, I'm definitely more open to it. But it's only week one right now. There's still a long season ahead. Saquon has dealt with plenty of injuries throughout his career. And I hope he does not deal with any right now. But let's just take this a game at a time. But yes, I'm definitely more open to it if he consistently plays like
1: that. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, this is something me and Nick haven't really considered until this point, I would say. And ultimately, it would have to be what Nick said a team-friendly deal, which I don't know if it's possible. If he keeps playing like this, I just feel like with Rock Nation and those agents, it's not going to be possible. Having said that, if it's a short-term, I'm only interested in short-term deals, and I'm only interested in Joe Shane doing something different than he did this offseason with regards to the contract. What I would need is a front-loaded contract. I don't want Cap Hits bleeding into 2024 and 2025 and 2026 when he's 26, 27 years old or whatever it would be. Because we know the shelf life at running backs, there's a massive cliff fall off at 27 years old. And ultimately, you're putting too much risk if you're going to do that. Now, we also know that Saquon Barkley has a massive injury history that we we can't just ignore, right? We can't just look at it like, oh, if he gets through this season healthy, that's how it's going to be every year. Because it certainly hasn't been the case. So there are still factors that lead me in one direction. But look. If they are going to restart at quarterback this offseason, that opens up a lot of cap fluidity and cap flexibility, if Shane's willing to be flexible with that cap. Because we also know that players like Kenny Galladay and Leonard Williams, they're not going to be under their cap forever, too. And so there's a lot of factors in this, but I'm more open to it than I ever was, especially because of a point that one of our listeners, Sal, made, which is if you start to look at the cap hits for wide receivers around the NFL versus running backs around the NFL. It's starting to feel like there might be a little bit more leeway to re-sign a running back, only because in the old days, before these wide receiver contracts ran rampant, the top paid running backs, when you gave one of these out, when you gave one of these big deals out, they almost mirrored in some ways and came close to matching the top receivers. Now it's like those receivers have doubled almost in price and allocation than the top running backs. So with that in mind, it opens up a little bit more of an avenue for finding value out of the re-signing the running back position ultimately we'll see where it goes. Shane obviously and and he came up under Brandon Bean and that wasn't their strategy there. They never traded for a running back when they were rumored to at deadlines, never spent money for agency on a running back. They continue to draft in rounds 3 and 4 at that position. So uh, that was 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 Cook actually around to a late round 2 pick he might have been. He, he was he was a round 2 pick and I think two.
3: it's it's worth noting and Joe Shane wasn't there that they were looking to add JD McKissick, but that's, again, not a huge running back name. And they basically just added what they wanted in JD McKissick and James Cook to play a specific role. But I think it's going to be interesting monitoring this going forward because Saquon Barkley is obviously going to be a huge, gigantic part of what the New York Giants are going to do here. And if the Giants are a playoff team, and if they do draft a young quarterback next year, who's going to be on a rookie deal, do they want that security blanket of having Saquon Barkley around to assist this young quarterback in his development?
1: Yeah. And look, if the Giants are winning football games, if they win eight, nine, if they surprise us all and get to the playoffs as that last wild card seed or whatever, to seed even potentially, we have to look at it game by game. Like if you look at week one, there's no no way on God's green earth you can say that Daniel Jones played a bigger factor in that win than Saquon Barkley. There's just no freaking way. I mean, I know there's homers out there. but I mean, I think even they'd have to look you in the eye. If you looked them in the eye, they'd have to be like, all right, you're right. You're right. Saquon Barkley was a bigger factor in that win. Um, and so if that's the case, it's almost like, You know, you can build a winning. I mean, look, this always goes. It's tough, Nick, because me and, you know, long term, there isn't too much value in trying to build a team that wins through the run game. We know it. It's unfortunate. But you've got Justin Herbert in the league. You've got Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen in the league. To win a Super Bowl, you have to beat one of those three. And are you going to be able to do it with a run first team? Unlikely. It's completely unlikely. There are fluke games. It's a one game thing, the NFL. So anything could happen the Giants beat the Patriots in 2007 when the Patriots were like ripping 50 touchdown seasons out of Tom Brady and the Giants are really just a run team. So it's not like it can't happen, but a lot has to go your way and it becomes unsustainable long-term because of the contracts you have to hand out to a thousand more players than just your quarterback. And that's an exaggeration, but the O-line, the D-line, whatever it may be. So there's a lot of factors. We'll revisit it later, but it's interesting to bring up now. Let's talk a little bit more about this matchup before we close out. I'll give you my biggest X factor, Nick, and my biggest X factor here. Is going to be can the Giants find a way to completely shut down Christian McCaffrey again? Because against Derrick Henry, to me, the game plan was a little more simple. He's not a running back who can impact you in the passing game. Against Christian McCaffrey, it's a different ball, it's a different mindset. Like even just the simple things that of like trying to string every run to make it go east west. Well, maybe if you try that against McCaffrey, He'll make you pay. And like you said earlier, Nick, I don't know if it was on this podcast or another one. McCaffrey's actually a pretty good vertical runner too. I've always thought that from his Stanford days when I evaluated his tape, I know a lot of people had the wrong impression of him coming out. He's just this fast speed runner with a receiving ability. He's actually a really good processor, really good vertical runner and cuts and gets uphill. So there's a lot to worry about with him. And that's not even touching on what he can do in the past game. So that to me is the biggest X factor. Can the giants figure out a way to stop him? And And I guess working in our favor in my mind, Nick is, can Ben McAdoo figure out a way to get him involved in the passing game? Because that wasn't the case in week one. And it's not really part of McAdoo's system. And it, it's on him to get a little creative with this thing. I'm surprised that it wasn't there in week one. If I'm Ben McAdoo and I inherit that job, the first thing I'm doing is designing all these pass plays for McCaffrey. But that could work in the Giants' favor that they are just facing a coordinator who doesn't really know how to how to get this going. Dude, I look
3: at this matchup and I think there are a lot of factors in this matchup that are working against the New York Giants. I think the Giants can win this game. I do. And obviously they can. But I think Carolina is a little bit more scrappy. I I think they have to, the New York Giants have to obviously run through Saquon Barkley. But if you look at the fact that the Giants defense was just torn apart by Hilliard, and then you have Christian McCaffrey on their side ball, and then you factor in Aaron Robinson isn't there. Like who, Dan, who is starting opposite of a Dory Jackson? Yep. Fabian Moreau, Justin Lane, Zion Gilbert. Like, what are we talking about here? Cordell Flott? Like, that's... Like if I'm Ben McAdoo, there's so many things to scheme against yeah. the Giants defense. We're going to need a huge defensive game plan again from Wink Martindale that he's going to have to put together in one week because he doesn't have that starting cornerback. So now it's not just Christian McCaffrey. It's also Robbie Anderson. You have to worry about DJ Moore. If he's not on a Dory Jackson, there are a lot of things that you can look at here. And if the Giants lose on Sunday, you could be like, well, you know, we probably should have discussed them. So I think bringing it up now just as a precursor to something that could happen doesn't mean the Giants are going to lose a football game because Carolina's is undisciplined. And like Jonathan said, gap discipline, they're terrible. If you watch that game, Nick Chubb is shedding dudes. Like, like guys are just falling off of him. It, it, was, it was one of the worst tackling experiences I've seen in a while. And if they continue to be that bad on defense, Saquon Barkley is going to have another huge day, but man, the giants have some holes right now and holes that they did not have
1: in week one. Yeah. It's a great breakdown of it, Nick, because I think on paper right now, you're right. The Panthers have an edge. Just because a lot of it's again has to do with the injuries. Like Giants are down, uh, Aaron Robinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, most likely, and Aziz Ojalari, most likely. This is these are three big components of a defense that didn't have much talent to begin with. Let's be honest. It's the scraps of what Gettleman left bad linebacker situation, bad edge without those two, bad cornerback, too, without Aaron Robinson. This is the reality we live in right now. And it's okay, we have to admit it, but they have advantages on the other side of the ball, Carolina. The Giants may not have, right? Like you said. Right now, working in the Giants' favor on the offense side of the ball versus their defense is just the undisciplined nature that you saw of them and their missed tackles. But that, like you said, and like Jonathan said, can be cleaned up. That's like that's not the same. It's not a talent personnel deficiency. It's a discipline deficiency. It's a coaching deficiency in some ways. And it's a want deficiency in some ways from those players. That can be cleaned up, in my mind, at least on paper, easier than the Giants can mask these personnel deficiencies they have on defense. So to me, ultimately what this game could come down to is I've always felt like Daniel Jones, if Baker Mayfield was in on the Giants for these last four years, he'd be just as bad. And I actually think he'd be worse than what Daniel Jones has been. I've always felt like Daniel Jones is a better quarterback. And so this is a big opportunity for Jones to outplay Baker and put this on him. Let him be the reason. Finally, that the Giants win a football game by outplaying the other quarterback by a wide enough margin where the Giants can win because half these NFL more than half these NFL games are just won and lost by quarterback disparity. So can the giants finally have a quarterback disparity on their side in this one? I think they can. And especially considering the offensive line is definitely better on the Giants side of the ball than the Panther side of the ball. I know the receiver situation is what it is. Tony just showed up again on the injury report with a hamstring injury, which is, is what it is at this point. I don't, I wasn't really expecting him to play that much anyway. <laughs> That's that's the thing, too. You're right. I feel like
3: from an offensive line perspective, the Giants have the edge and that's going to be one way they win this football game, specifically if the Giants can get the pass rush in on Baker Mayfield, because I don't trust Carolina's offensive line at all. But man, the receivers of the New York Giants, like who are we looking at here? Kenny Galladay. I love Sterling Shepard. And that's that's one guy I think you can rely on. And he showed that at least briefly in a game against Tennessee Titans. But Wando Robinson might not play in this game. You have a rookie tight end and Daniel Bellinger. You're going to have Tanner Hudson running routes. I, I felt like he looked solid. And you're going to need guys like David Sills and Richie James to step up against a secondary that's pretty damn good. I mean, Jeremy Chin is is a very good safety, Jeremy Chen. And he's a little bit more of an in in-box guy, but he's a heady dude. He's one of the better players on that team. And then you have Dante Jackson, who has been around the league for a while, C.J. Henderson and J.C. Horn. It's a pretty good trio of cornerbacks on the outside that they have. And I don't know if Kenny Galladay is going to be able to win that, those matchups consistently. So Daniel Jones is going to have to find a way. This this could be just a lot of pressure on Daniel Jones if the defense and Phil Snow find a way to stop Saquon Barkley. I just, I just don't know if they're going to find a way to stop Saquon Barkley, which would be awesome for us.
1: Yeah, that 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 that's the clearest path for the win right there. They don't find a way. They remain undisciplined. They remain having issues with their tackling the Panthers. That is, because I still think the best way to win this game is to is to run the football. That's you know this is we said in the preseason. This is going to be a, have to be a run first team. It just is. Like I'm trying to knock the dude, but we need until we see more from the passing game. That's the only that's the best way the Giants can win right now because the Giants turned the ball over twice in the passing game last week, and that's like. You know, they didn't throw the ball that many. There were only a few attempts. There were 20, what was it, 18 of 21, he was in that game. And again, one was like a one yard play action pass. There's a bunch of just RPO, quick hitting slant layup type throws. So, I mean, look, if they drop back to pass more, like you said, with the pressure that the Carolina Panthers can give and they're a high pressure defense, that could ultimately backfire. So, uh, while I want this to be on Jones and I want him to transcend Baker and be the difference in this game. I'm a little nervous there too. So I think like you said, the first the first thing they got to do here, the Giants, is see if they can just do exactly what they did last week. Run the offense through Saquon Barkley.
3: And also just work the RPO. Because if you work Best. the RPO, you could cause hesitation in those linebackers. Give Saquon Barkley some easier paths when they do actually run the football. Yep. That's a great point as well. Anything else on this matchup before we wrap up? No. I mean, I think we could do predictions like we did last time. Okay. I think... Yeah, I think last the New York night, Giants, Last
1: week, we both predicted the Titans would win, so we got that wrong. It's just great. I love yeah. getting that wrong. But we, I said they would be in at the Giants all the way to the fourth quarter and then lose the end, which I almost got right. Thankfully, I was wrong with the 47 yard <laughs> miss it would have sucked to nail that completely.
3: I think I had a 24 to 20 loss yeah. in a similar fashion. So this week. I'm going to predict the giants or win this game, but this is a pure desperation mode from Matt rule right now who might not make it through the season. And I kind of think he's a donkey head coach at, at this donkey. point. He makes pure donkey. So I think the giants have a coaching edge. They're at home. They're favored right now. The Carolina Panthers can't stop the run. Saquon Barkley just had one of the best games of his career. So I think the New York giants win this game. I'm going to say it's going to be like a weird score, like a 26 to 20.
1: Okay. So a little bit more points than last week. I talked about this game with my dad on the phone this week, and he is a very pessimistic fan. Most old fans are um, older <laughs> fans, I should say. That he'd hate me if I wow. if you heard the word. And he's gonna listen to this too. Older cool. fans, most, and he's in great shape by the way, so he's he's fine. But he runs dude runs miles every day. Was playing basketball till like sixty years old. But um, he he was like. He thinks the Panthers are going to win. He's always so pessimistic, but he's like, you know what, then if we're going to win this game, it's because we finally, and he's right. We finally have a coaching edge. I think the coaching edge could be big here. I do think the Carolina Panthers have a little bit of a personnel edge just because of the injuries, to the giants. I think if we had uh, Aaron Robinson gave Thibodeau and Aziz Ojalari, we'd be fine there because we do have a little bit of an edge on the offensive line, but versus their offensive line, but, Ultimately, their personnel is definitely looking a little better to me going into the week, but we have a huge, I think we have a huge coaching edge. I think, like you said, Matt Rule is a massive donkey versus uh, Brian Dable from a head coaching standpoint. The big thing to me is I just think Ben McAdoo is a disaster of an offensive coordinator. I don't really understand why they hired him. I thought they were idiots to fire McCoy. McCoy was perfectly utilizing McCaffrey in the passing game. I watched the Panthers Browns game and I just felt like this was a horrific usage of McCaffrey in the pass game. Like this should be your whole offense. Your whole offense should be. Prove you can stop McCaffrey in the pass game. And if you can't stop him with one-on-one linebackers and or safeties or whatever you want to put on him, make you make sure that the opposing defense has to allocate extra resources, extra defenders to stopping the pass game with McCaffrey. It'll open everything up. And I didn't see that in the first game, to be completely honest with you. And I'm not so sure I'm gonna see that this week because Ben McAdoo never really did that with the Giants. It's a very rigid system. It's basically just based on winning one-on-ones. And it's just that's what Mc, that's why McCarthy failed in Green Bay ultimately. It's why McAdoo failed in 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 New York. So I think the coaching edge is strong on the Giants side. And I actually feel like Phil Snow's a pretty good coordinator. So I don't know if we have too much of an edge there. And I never feel like the defense edge is, is as big as the offense edge from the coordinating standpoint. But man, the coaching to me, head coach and offensive coordinator, Giants have a big edge. So a lot of field goals from the Giants in this game or potentially a two-point conversion to get them to 15. Let's go 23-21. Love that. With the game-winning field goal at the end, Dan? With a game-winning field goal from the Giants at the end this time, where they're in position and Graham Gano connects just see like Giants Twitter. A lot of people are like
3: very optimistic and I'm optimistic about the Giants, but like this is the NFL, man. These things tend to
1: fluctuate. We're not ready. We're not there yet. We let's enjoy week one. It was a lot of fun. It was an upset victory. It was a balls coach, ballsy coaching move, but we are not at the point yet as a, as a fan base where we can just be expecting wins against anyone right now. With
3: that said though, at home, this is a game the Giants
1: should win. But yes. should does
3: not mean will. So yes. let's just wait and see. I'm excited for this matchup. And hopefully, I just hope they can get a pass rush, man. I'm so pissed yeah. about Azizo Ojalari and, and Kayvon Thibodeau's health right now. Uh, man, because I really think Kayvon we could Thibodeau. is so
1: sick with them right now.
3: Bro, I think Kayvon Thibodeau would have racked like three sacks off Ikemi And I think that would also kind of alter what McAdoo could do because you're going to have to yes. keep six guys in, man, to really yes. just keep off the heat of Kayvon Thibodeau. Iquano, like, he's powerful, he, he's, but, like, dude, he's he's not there yet from a technical standpoint at left tackle, and he drew a terrible, you know, first matchup
1: against Miles Garrett. But still, man, I think, I think Kayvon Thibodeau would have been able to exploit that. Yep. All right, that's all we have today for the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. Subscribe and download every podcast, even if you leave it after, which we actually suggest so you save some storage on your phone. Make sure you subscribe and download. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll talk to you on Sunday.